Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 83 of X-Lapsed, where, uh, yeah, we're we're still with Empire. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be straight up with you guys here. I've uh, been sitting on the notes for this episode for a couple days now because I was just trying to think of nice things to say and uh, really kind of struggled with this one because I don't want to come across as being overly negative. I don't want to come across as being dismissive. I don't want to come across as being what so many people think seasoned comics fans are. You know what I mean? But uh, sometimes something just is what it is, uh, as as much as it sucks to say that. Is this the case with Empire X-Men number two? Well, I guess we'll, uh, we'll find out as we go along. Which is to say, we are about to discuss Empire colon X-Men number two, which had an October 2020 cover date. The story's called Growing Strong, written by Jerry Duggan, Ben Percy, and Leo Williams. So it's uh, more of our Dawn of X uh, writing team here. We've got uh, Duggan from Marauders, Percy from Wolverine and uh, X-Force, and we have Leo Williams from the upcoming X-Factor. Art by Lucas Warnick, colors Nolan Wooded, lead is VCs Clayton Cowles, designs Tom Muller, head of X is Hickman. Edits Bisa White Sabolski, cover price, five friggin' dollars. Went on sale August 5th, 2020. Now we start right away with the roll call. We've got Magic, Penance, Angel, Multiple Men, Black Tom Cassidy, Opal, Edith, Augusta, Lily, and Explodey Boy. I'm already not in the mood for this. Um, double page spread of creds to follow, and then we get into comics content. So yeah, we open with the old ladies being wildly funny with the cursing and whatnot. Um, they were somehow able to, act, to access the Krakoan gateway, but that only gets a mention at this point. Uh, no explanation about how they can do so. Unless I somehow missed an explanation that they made back in X-Men number 3 back in the long ago. Because, to be perfectly honest, I did kind of glaze over during parts of that one. Uh, now, they lay eyes on Angel and begin to swoon because, you know, he's one handsome dude. Augusta and Opal then double-team a veg alien and hack him to pieces. Now, if you recall, Horticulture's gimmick is that they would collect samples of plants and stuff. And boy, I really wish my autocorrect didn't change Horticulture to Horticulture every single time. Now I have to write it with a hyphen so it doesn't autocorrect. Anyway, now Warren, he tries to stop them from, well, basically doing what they already did. I mean, he watched them chop up the veg alien, right? Anyway, Augusta responds by spraying him in the face with a green mist, which causes him to view the old bags as, uh, well, more supple, shapely, and far younger ladies. And so Warren is completely under their spell, willing to do their bidding. Uh, 
Now, this pheromone spray, or whatever it is, does not work on M nor Ilyana, but as our camera pans out, we see that it did affect our multiple man. And so he heads over to the Estelle Getty lookalike in the big old Professor X chair to do her bidding. Isn't Jamie married? I mean, whatever happened to Layla Miller? Did I, I, I must have missed something, because I, I don't know that we've seen her in ages. Maybe even since the, uh, the old Peter David run there. It's an odd... Um, well, maybe it's not very odd. Who knows? Anyway, that rumbling starts again. Remember the rumbling from last episode and issue? It looks like we're in for another wave. Now, Augusta asks Angel to fly her up in the sky to get a better look and also to sing her some Neil Diamond. And so, to a bit of Sweet Caroline, that's exactly what he does. To which I say, come on, Sweet Caroline, that's the lazy pick. Now, if you want to impress us, maybe do some Cracklin' Rosie. You know, Sweet Caroline, everybody knows that one. Anyway, they find out that, yes, indeed, there is another wave coming. And so, Magic and Opal decides it's probably best for both sides here to set aside their differences, at least for the moment. So, yeah, we go right into a big fight scene, during which, uh, well, now here's a little uh, seasoned X-Fan bait. Uh, Magic, she's fighting a veggie alien, right? And she tells this veggie alien that uh, once back in the long ago, the X-Men once killed a billion broccolis. Well, first of all, they were asparaguses. Second, that wasn't the X-Men, that was Dark Phoenix. Third, even if it was the X-Men, is the complete planetary genocide of a civilization something we really want to brag about? Really? Uh, Kind of a lazy attempt at playing to the cheap seats here. I mean, I got the reference, I just didn't pop for it. Anyway, Magic then decides to employ her friends from Limbo to serve as a cleanup crew, and with the wave of the Soul Sword, that's exactly what she does. Now, it's worth noting here that Magic is cursing about as much as the old biddies, and it's a... Yeah, whatever novelty it might have had, that ship sailed ages ago. This is not funny. Okay, nearby, we join a veggie man at the Katati warship, and he's being followed by friggin' Explody Boy. Now, after claiming that the Katati have already taken root here, the plant man employs a sort of self-destruct feature on the craft. Now, this causes like a giant bulb, not like a light bulb, but like a plant bulb to open up which spews forth a whole bunch of roots and vines. It also bubbles into this really disgusting seed pod, which winds up trapping Madrox, M, and half of the horticulture. Magic tries to cut through it, but alas, her soul sword cannot. We jump back to Krakoa, where Black Tom is Black Tomming. Uh, The Krakoa Genosha Gate is now completely down, and so he tries to figure out a way to be of use. And um, he somehow finagles his way into the Krakoan pollen, dirt, fungus, and mold on the bottom of Angel's boot. Huh? Okay, well this causes him to manifest as a teeny tiny Tom avatar, which would be kind of cute if it weren't just so try-hard and contrived. Now he shows up on Angel's shoulder and he gets a gander at the madness going on down below. Now, upon reconnoitering with the rest of the crew, one of the Horde culture hags suggests that, uh, hey, if they were to concoct some black walnut trees, those would attack the roots of this seed pond gimmick. And so, Black Tom, with the aid of Krakoa itself, complies. Unfortunately, this only seems to anger the seed pod. But on the bright side, it spits Jamie Madrox out. 
He tells his teammates to, you know, whatever you're doing, stop it because it nearly killed Monet. Now, if you remember, Krakoa feeds off psychic energy and whatnot, at least when it's convenient to the story. Magic realizes that she's going to need some psychic backup, right? And so she asks the old hags if they'd reopen the Krakoa Genosha gateway, and they refuse. And so Magic locks them in limbo until they change their mind, which they do pretty quickly. Then Magic, as war captain, remember she is a Krakoan captain, she delivers a call to arms to any psychic mutants on Krakoa, and we wrap up this issue with the cavalry arriving, and it's a real who's who. We see Quentin Quaya, the Stepford Cuckoos, Exodus, Mastermind, Lady Mastermind, Saline, Sassy Sinister, and the friggin' Shadow King? The Shadow King is on Krakoa? You gotta be kidding me. Well, okay, well, that's where we leave it. Uh, next episode, Empire rolls on, and, uh, well, I guess at least we're halfway through it, huh? So how about we talk about it? Um, yeah, still not loving this. I still feel like we're kind of the victim of a Marvel grift here. Uh, they're banking on people like me and, and maybe some of you to buy these things. Um, and I mean, I have been that uh, Marvel zombie, or the X-Men zombie anyway, for quite a while now. I mean, I did the same thing with things like Uncanny X-Force Fear Itself. Civil War X-Men, Civil War II X-Men, Secret Invasion X-Men, Dark Reign X-Men, War of the Realms Uncanny X-Men, Chaos War X-Men, the insane amount of Secret Wars minis from 2015, and I'm sure there's a handful that I'm forgetting. These tie-in miniseries is, 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 are mostly pointless, and are so far on the fringes of what's actually happening in the main event that they just plain don't matter. And I mean, okay, yes, in reality... These are all about making a buck. I get that, but I'm also trying to deliver my usual biting analysis. So I, uh, you know, I hate to stumble behind the mic and just say, yes, this was pointless, but they only made this to cash in on completionists, and to that end, I guess they were successful. Talk to you all again real soon. I mean, that wouldn't be a good show. Not that, not that you know, what you're listening to now is a good show, but that would be even worse. So let's try to justify... The existence of this issue, okay? While I didn't dig it, I will say it went down a little easier than the first issue. Now, maybe... Maybe that's because now I sort of kind of have an expectation. Whereas with number one, I wasn't sure exactly what we were in for, right? What we were going to be getting ourselves into. Maybe my caution going in to the first issue was perhaps tempered with a bit more optimism than I consciously realized... And so when reality actually set in like a ton of bricks and I realized that we were getting this, you know, funny ha-ha with the explodey boy and the Golden Girls, maybe my disappointment was compounded a bit. Maybe it got the best of me, maybe. I don't know. Let's talk about what worked here. Now, this is going to sound crazy, but uh, with less try-hard dialogue, the old ladies might just work. Now, I want to be clear. I don't have a problem with their motivation. I don't have a problem with their actual existence. It's just the junior high school presentation of them that I can't stand. I mean, this is a Chris problem, to be sure. And it goes back to that rhetorical question that I have been asking a lot lately, which is, wouldn't it be funny if... dot dot dot? Which, as I've said time and again, the answer is, more often than not, no. No, it would not be. Uh, Explodey Boy, he falls into the same sort of pocket for me. 
you know, wouldn't it be funny if dot, 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 there was this mutant who blew stuff up and he was called Explody Boy. Well, no, no, it wouldn't be funny. It's not. This is like the worst sort of commercial comedy. You know, this is the sort of tripe that you'd see in like a Geico or a progressive auto insurance ad. I mean, you ever notice how every single commercial on TV right now tries to be funny? And how zero of them actually are? You know, those ad wizards would have come up with something just as expired as Explody Boy. So, if it weren't for... If we were able to somehow walk back the try-hard dialogue, I could see horde culture not being something that makes me want to hurl my book across the room. Explody Boy is Explody Boy. <laughs> That's not going to be something I'm going to come around to. Yeah, You know what? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll be surprised. Maybe I'll be pleasantly surprised. And uh, Explody Boy will wind up on my you know top X amount of characters of 2020. Who knows? What else? What else? Um, I really don't care about yet another Marvel alien invasion. I don't. Um, I don't think there's anything that could be done that can change that. These things are interchangeable. You don't know what year it is. You don't know what crossover it is. It's just more aliens coming to the Marvel Earth, right? That is not a fault of this book in particular. I mean, I mean, even just in the X-Books, we're coming out of an attempted brood invasion, right? X-Men, uh, what, 9 and 10 was the brood. There's more than one string on the guitar, Marvel. Maybe try plucking at some of the others every once in a while, because this is just too much of the same. At least, I will say there hasn't been any hero-versus-hero nonsense. At least not in this miniseries. Maybe the main Empire, um, you know, maxi-series event spectacular is full of, you know, Captain America punching the thing. Who knows? It's not here, so we'll just pretend we're ostriches, head in the sand, not paying attention to the bigger picture. For all the good and all the bad that implies. Let's see, uh, you know, like I said in the synopsis, I get the reference magic makes to killing the broccolis. But... It's ill-thought-out shorthand writing like this that affects the narrative of these books to the more casual reader, right? Now, let's remember that this is a tie-in in a mainstream Marvel crossover event, so there might be, come, there might be people coming over here who are not familiar with the X-Men, right? So now any of those folks here, folks who are not familiar with the X-Men, not familiar with the lore, who reads this, they're going to think that Oh yeah, the X-Men once killed a billion Dabari aliens. When, no, no they didn't. That was Phoenix. I mean, this is the sort of shorthand writing that uh, causes folks to insist that Jean Grey dies every other issue, right? I mean, we've all heard, oh, she's dead again. It's like, no, well, let's, let's actually go back and look at how many times she's died. She's died less than most of the other X-Men. But we're always stuck on Gene dying because that's the narrative. That's the, the shorthand. That's the, that's the you know, 250-character tweet version of what happens. It's lazy. It's pandering. And it's just plain incorrect to boot. And again, they were asparaguses, not broccolis. Let's see. The art. Let's talk about the art. I found the art to be better in this issue than in number one. So there's that. Well, at the same time, it wasn't such a jarring difference from one issue to the other. I still, I thought it was the same artist who just uh, was a little bit sharper with this issue. And no, it's a, it's a different artist altogether. Same inker, but a different, a different penciler. So I liked that a lot. thought the art was really, really nice. 
And uh, I guess I am kind of looking forward to seeing the psychics get involved next issue. I just hope that, you know, they don't kill Quentin Quire again. I will say, I mean, I made a point of pointing this out. Uh, we see the Shadow King here, right? And that feels like... That feels like it should be a bigger deal than they're presenting it as, right? Because I never imagined that the Shadow King would just join up with Professor X and just live on Krakoa, like, as a regular dude. And, and I figure if he did, which, of course, he did, they'd probably write a story to explain it, not just have him pop up in the background of a splash page where he's, like, the eighth most interesting character. I, I guess that might just be the nature of a crossover miniseries, though, right? I mean, if we go back to the last uh, you know, crossover miniseries we had, X-Men plus Fantastic Four, we saw a handful of cameos there that didn't quite sit right, right? Though at least with that one, it sort of has the excuse of coming out from a different editorial office. Not sure what the excuse is here, or if, uh, you know, maybe I just hold the Shadow King in a sort of rarefied air that Marvel does not. But it just seems like this should have been explained. He shouldn't just be in a panel. Overall, um, if I'm being honest, I think we're headed in the right direction. Though that is definitely damning with faint praise because uh, I did not like that first issue and I didn't think it could get any worse. So, uh, And also, with the first issue, I think I was just overwhelmed feeling disgusted and exploited as an X-Men completionist. And here today, I, I just feel kind of bored. So, I mean, it's baby steps, but it's in the right direction. And, oh, by the way, all four issues of this Empire colon X-Men series will be $5 each. Which I'm going to try not to dwell on, because uh, I know I can do that sometimes, and uh, we, we all know it's a ripoff. We all know that they should not be charging $5 for this stuff. Um, I think that's all we really need to say about it. I, I, I'm going to try not to... Make too many mentions of it in the next two episodes, but uh, you know, just so we're all on the same page, I think it's a ripoff, and I'm pretty sure uh, I'm not alone in thinking that. Now, overall, if you're an X-Men completionist, well, you you already own this. If you're not, you can safely skip it because you're not missing anything important. Though, if that does wind up changing over the course of the next two episodes, I will admit my mistake. So you have that. I hope. In two episodes' time, you'll hear me saying, Hey, I'm sorry, this is the greatest thing in the world. Everybody go out and get it. I just don't see that happening. But uh, if it does, I will definitely cop to my mistake. So that's all I got to say about Empire, colon, X-Men number two. Let's hop into the mailbag here, and we're going to talk to Damien first, who's talking about Giant Size X-Men Magneto number one. Now, Damien says, I've had a bit of a catch-up day, so you're going to be inundated with comments. I'm really mixed on this story. It's a fun little tale, but so much of it depends on knowledge of the history of these characters. You need to know that they have a long history together from supervillain team-up onwards. I know they're marketing Giant Size as an art-led book, but I wonder if they therefore think of it as a fan book, which will only be bought by people who know their ex-history. I think a new reader would be lost. There's no explanation of who Magneto and Namor are, and no direct reference to their shared history. That's a great point. That's a great point. It doesn't even make allusions to the recent Namor and uh, and Magneto history, where they were, you know, both X Men. You know, they were both on the team. They were both on the same team, living on Utopia or whatever. We don't really get that there. All we get is like, okay, Namor is kind of a kind of a douche, 
and Magneto's doing Emma Frost a solid for whatever reason. Uh, Damien continues, I like the way that Magneto reacted to the witch's challenge. It's evocative of the way the X-Men are taking the unexpected route. That's a very good call-out. That's a very good point. I didn't really put that together. I didn't really read into it much more than just seeing it as like the old Dungeon Master trap, you know? Like the uh, like one of those riddles where like the person next to me is lying, the person on the other side of me is telling the truth, and you can ask one question. and It just felt very, very tropey to me. I, did, I didn't really think much more than that. Uh, Damien continues. As for the art, I'm actually a bigger fan of Ramon Perez than Ben Oliver, so I was glad of the artist change. In particular, I was really impressed with David Curiel's colors. I thought he really increased the mood. And yes, the colors here were very, very good. They were very, very good. I feel like maybe I don't give as, give enough credit to um, to the rest of the art team outside of the pencils or the uh, you know the just overall pencil inker artist. Uh, I don't really talk much about the colors, and uh, I probably should. Now, I honestly can't say if I like Perez or Oliver better. I'm not overly familiar with either one of them. Uh, I can say, though, that I didn't feel as though Perez warranted a showcase like this. You know, if this is the art-led book, this is the hey-hey, look at our artists. I mean, it was good. But it wasn't anything show-stopping like Dodderman or Davis on the prior two Giant Size offerings. When I hear that a book is going to be posed or poised as the one that you need to see because the art is going to just knock your socks off, this wasn't it. And I mean, maybe we're spoiled because we get Rod Reese every once in a while on New Mutants, but this was not, uh, this didn't stand out as being anything other than just good comic art, where Dodderman and Davis were just like, oh wow, you need to see this, you know? Just me though, who knows? Uh, Damien continues. I walk away from this issue wondering what Emma Frost is up to. The Sentinel Head seems like an ominous element to use in your architecture. Her original Hellions were slaughtered by the Sentinels back in the 90s, and she ended up in a coma, so I can't imagine it as a place for her. Sebastian Shaw was behind the Sentinels for quite some time. Do you think she's building a prison for him? She definitely wants to take revenge on him, but she can't kill him as he'd be resurrected. So a prison would fit her plans. And yeah, the question as to what to do with the island is definitely the main takeaway here. And everything you said is, uh, I mean, that's a great idea, isn't it? I mean, just as a, even if Shaw's not involved, just a prison island, you know? Because, um, yeah, like you said, I couldn't see Emma wanting to reside somewhere that's adorned with a sentinel head. I don't know. Um because what I saw when when I saw it at first, I, I was just reminded of the Children of the Vault storyline that we saw in, boy, what was it, X Men Five, Volume Five, Number Five, where X twenty three Sink and Darwin went into the uh, into the into the vault. I remember seeing a Sentinel head as part of that architecture, and that's what I thought of right away. But I'm not sure one way or another which way this uh, might go, or further if it goes. Um, I mean, I do wonder if it'll come back around. Like, will we see it in the pages of Marauders, or will we never see it at all, ever again? I mean, we just never know with these sort of things. Um, this could be a seed they wind up, and you know, forgetting they ever planted. Hopefully we see it again. I just, uh, I wouldn't hazard a guess as to when that might be. But uh, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on Giant Size Magneto. Uh, another $5 book. We're getting a lot of those, aren't we? Aren't we? Hmm. 
Uh, next, Jesse Dijon gives us his Hoxpox Docs update. Now he says, hey Chris, thanks for the call out and the feedback on my Generation X continuity list that I've been assembling. Now if you do decide to do a watch along of the Generation X movie, you should specify since there are two versions. I still have the one that aired on Fox on VHS with the Mardi Gras buffers for the commercials. I never understood why they never bought, uh, brought Buff or Refrax into the continuity. That's because Buff and Refrax were, uh, they were characters from the Generation X TV movie, and they, as far as I know, they never made their way into the Marvel Universe. And uh, I remember back in the long ago, I was surprised that they didn't get added in some sort of way. I mean, even as just like a pair of one-offs, even if, even if they were just a pair of villains or something, just to say they were there, you know? Um, I didn't know there were two versions of the movie either. Um, and I mean, to be completely honest, you all know by now that uh, the alternate media versions of comics properties are way outside my wheelhouse. If it's not, you know, saddle-stapled and folded, I really don't know much about it. So I didn't know that, so thank you for that information. Uh, Jesse continues. We have both hit about the same spot in our reading of the Hox Pox Socks list. I'm so far behind due to wanting to read all of Empire since it's been years since I've read a whole crossover event. Originally, before the pandemic, the list of books was almost twice as large. There's a Thor story that keeps getting mentioned but didn't see print, although maybe they have it digitally. But I'm old school and I love to hold the books in my hands and take up way too much space in my basement. Anyway, it took me two months to get through all the issues in the event, and I can sum it up by saying this could have been a three-issue story in Future Foundation or Black Panther and the Agents of Wakanda. As soon as I finished Empire, King and Black dropped. I think I'll wait on that. And I'm trying to think. I'm trying to remember the last event I went all in with. Um, I know for DC, I was probably Convergence, which, uh, well, with which really sucked. Um, not, not a good event. It was, it was a um, poorly disguised attempt to basically give DC a couple of months so they could move from New York to California, and they filled it with absolute throwaway trash, for the most part. Some of it was really good, but for the most part it was just like, hey, remember Batman and the Outsiders? Well, here they are, and it's never going to matter again. So there you go. But for Marvel... You know, it might have been the very same year. Uh, or, yeah, because Convergence was 2015, so it might have been the very same year with the 2015 Secret Wars, at least for the first few months, uh, until everything kind of went off the rails. And, and that's for me. You know, for me, it went off the rails, because I know a lot of folks who absolutely adore that event. I unfortunately do not. Uh, and I know there were a lot of delays, and a lot of stuff just got hiccuped. And... Uh, I, I, I do want to say that I did go into it with the best of intentions. I bought the uh, the DCBS Secret Wars bundles for the first few months. It would be like, hey, here's everything from Secret Wars, and every month it was like it was like hundred and sixty dollars, and that was at like forty percent off. So I probably spent like five hundred bucks on Secret Wars, and I didn't even follow the uh, you know the side stories through the whole way. I, I have the I have the whole main series and all the X-Men stuff, but I dropped everything else because it was just way, way too much. I mean, that would be way too much on something that I actually enjoyed, much less something that I really didn't. Um, but talking about Empire here, I could definitely believe that an event that's predicated on alien invasion, but this time it's plants, 
could have very easily been wrapped up in a very short arc in a single book. Um, and you mentioned, you know, King in Black, right? It's nuts how Marvel, they're not even pretending to give us a break from the mass crossovers anymore. Like, it used to be that we'd get at least a couple months between them, right? It felt like, okay, well, here's, you know, we're going we're gonna to wrap this thing up because every Marvel event, at least up until I stopped, you know, compulsively buying them, they were just stricken with delays. So it would just take forever to, like, a nine-issue story would take 14 months to come out because it's just, they just kept getting delayed. And now it's like... I don't know if there are delays or not, but it doesn't even matter because they're just they're just putting them out on top of one another. This is like a what is that thing where like if you get two life sentences in jail, you can serve them both at the same time. <laughs> That's what it feels like with the Marvel events. It's just we don't even get a breathing any breathing room at all. It's just one into the other, into the other, into the other, usually with overlap, which is ridiculous. Back to Jesse. He says, As I've said before in a different message, the X-Men part of Empire event was as profound and entertaining as Fallen Angels was. But they did get me and you and others to buy it, so mission accomplished. You also got one of two wishes. Yes, this is a space thing, but no, it's not hero versus hero after the first issue. So, uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, I almost wrapped up last episode by saying... Fallen Angels, you're off the hook. <laughs> because I can't believe that I'm actually looking back at Fallen Angels as being almost favorable by comparison. You know, I talk about nebulous things like heart. Fallen Angels didn't have none of that. This has even less. Um, but Fallen Angels, oh boy, it's like... Yeah, I would trade to read a Fallen Angels issue instead of another Empire issue. And it's true. I mean, this... I, I mentioned it before, this is a grift... This only exists to exploit completionists. And I can't say that it isn't successful to that end. You know, Marvel and, of course, Disney probably have some very good bean counters employed, and they know exactly what they're doing. So we're... People like me are... uh, We're part of the problem. You know. Uh, Jesse continues. You've mentioned keeping a tally of mutants who have died since Hoxpox started, and you can add one more to the list. In Immortal She-Hulk number one... Wolverine flat-out kills a mutant named Tantrum and explains to She-Hulk that the guy will be okay because they have, quote, healers on Krakoa. Now, is Wolverine just up and killing people because it's the easiest way to deal with them? Is this his way of showing that mutants are not considered man or human so he can go against the new Krakoan law? I know X-Force is one thing, but the guy got stabbed from behind without even a punch or warning from old Logan. Wow. That I did not know. And that is so dumb. Just killing a mutant to prove that he could. Who who the hell's writing that book? That's ridiculous. I gotta wonder if our head of X knew that this was gonna go down, because that's just wildly irresponsible. It seems to go against so much of what they're building in the X-Men. But that who the hell is writing that? Jesus. Uh, now that said... I am only reading the X-Books, so if anybody listening can help me, you know, keep me apprised of mutant happenings and mutant deaths going on outside in the other books, please do let me know. Also, 
If there are, like, mutant Krakoa-centric stories happening outside of our little editorial fiefdom that you feel like I should devote an entire episode to, definitely, please let me know. I know Fantastic Four number 26 has been brought up. The, uh, you know, the big Franklin retcon. Don't know if I should devote an entire episode to it. If, uh, if you all want me to, I will. So just let me know, and uh, we can... We can definitely start peppering in, you know, uh, other happenings that we might consider vital to the, you know, the ex-lapsed lore, you know, the, the way we're weaving our way through this. So definitely let me know with that. Uh, back to Jesse. I would be slightly more interested in how many Hox Pox books do not have someone getting drunk in it. Wolverine getting Magneto plastered to get his helmet. Cyclops getting pass out drunk while meeting Phantom X. Kitty and Boom Boom always with a bottle in hand. Gene and Logan in a hot tub sharing a bottle of beer. And on and on and on. Did it all of a sudden become super cool to get stupid drunk, or is Marvel just being irresponsible? They put out a a decree about smoking in their books, but I guess people being constantly sloshed is okay for T+. And you know, it's funny. Anytime I mention the drinking, I I, I feel like I'm being a little too severe on it, right? But to me... It just stinks of those kids in high school who would draw, like, a marijuana leaf on the cover of their Trapper Keeper to show how edgy they were, right? It's low-hanging fruit, and it really doesn't impress me quite as much as I think it's supposed to. I think I'm supposed to be like, wow, this is cool, this is edgy, and it's like, no, it's stupid. Maybe if I were still a teenager, I'd be thinking this is, like, super cool and totally edgy. But as a 40-year-old man... I mean, first of all, I'm too old for this crap, but second of all, it just feels way too try-hard and pandering. It's it's writing for an audience that doesn't really exist, you know? You're, it's, it's just a different time right now. Don't know what else to say about it, but I do always worry that I'm being a little too harsh on it, but it's, it's pandering. Back to Jesse. Maybe I'm just complaining about Wolverine too much today, but I just finished X-Force number 10, and I can't tell you how much I hate the last page of that book. I don't feel so bad that I dumped a soda on the issue either. I do not like Gene and Logan being a thing with a big question mark over Scott. It may just be my upbringing, but I think past a point you need to commit to one person and not just have open relationships. I suppose I'm just old-fashioned, but if Gene is done with Scott, then let's come out and say it. Maybe she is, since Scott was into Emma for so long. I would like a clear understanding of who is with whom in the Scott, Gene, Logan, Emma relationship, and not just hints about rooms with the moon on the moon that connect. And yeah, I've I've said it before. This open relationship. I mean, we know it's there, right? I mean, we saw we all saw the schematic for the Summer House on X Men number one. You you just alluded to it there. And for folks who who somehow chose this episode to begin listening to the show and didn't listen to the older episodes, Gene's bedroom in the schematic can be accessed from both Scott and Logan's room. But that's all we really knew. And I, I didn't like it, but I was okay with it. Here, though, having it confirmed that this is an actual thruple, or quadruple, if we're going to include Emma, or whatever it actually is, I don't care for this. Um, This feels like yet another attempted edginess for me. Uh, Either edginess or just a device to to evoke a reaction out of us seasoned readers, right? Just really don't know what the point of it is. I gotta hope that it's headed somewhere and won't just keep, you know, dribbling on. 
I, I couldn't say one way or another where it's going. Uh, I would like for there to be clarification. I, I'm with you there. If if Jean is going to be with uh, Wolverine, then just have her be with Wolverine. If she's going to be with Scott, have her be with Scott. Uh, it's funny even talking about it because when this era ends and the next era begins, it'll all just change anyway. You know, we can have her and Wolverine get married in uh, in X Men Volume Five, Number Twenty Five, and then when the Dawn of X era ends. Uh, She'll be back with Scott because the next writer will want him back with Scott. You know, it's who knows, who knows. But for now, yeah, not liking it. Jesse continues. Well, ahead of time, I hope you get more out of Empire X Men than I did, and I hope that this does not scare you away. There really isn't much X Men involvement except for the mini in this event. Wolverine joins the Fantastic Four in, with Spider Man, and Cannonball and Sunspot show up at the very end for a wedding. Is about all there is. And uh, yes, so far, we're on the same page regarding Empire, my friend. I didn't think there'd be much, if any, X-Men involvement in the main story. And uh, I did take a look at some of the house ads as I was making my way through to get here. And from the house ads that I've seen, I want to say the only X-Presence that I noticed was Wolverine. Maybe Deadpool, you know, and I don't even know if we consider Deadpool one of ours anymore. And I mean, that's not surprising in the slightest. Because how do you cross the streams with the mainstream Marvel Universe and Dawn of X era X-Men and make them work together? It's just, they're going to be fighting each other. And it's going to be, it just wouldn't make for an interesting or uh, engaging story, you know. Now Jesse continues. I didn't expect this email to be so negative, but apparently I'm a white picket fences guy with a freshly kept lawn and not a sleep around drunk with bottles and bodies all around. I think my wife prefers it this way. To which, yes, we're all a little bit Jeff Bannister, aren't we? (laughs) He says, uh, he wraps up with, thanks, Chris, and until next time, keep it going. And we absolutely will. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time for such a uh, thoughtful email. Uh, It was really, really great getting that and uh, being able to share it with the folks. So thank you so, so much. Uh, We're going to wrap up with a message from Joe Crawford, who just finished the Dawn of X Anthology, Volume 6. Now, he says, I finished Dawn of X, Book 6, and his rankings are as follows. X-Men, New Mutants, Marauders, X-Force, Excalibur, and Fallen Angels. He says, Fallen Angels ends. This was my favorite Excalibur so far. Call Me Kate gets Marauder's Doctor spot. Uh, New Mutants pulls a Zatanna. X-Force goes Floronic. And Don't Screw With Destiny. Mostly good, this one. And yes, X-Men number six was fantastic. Uh, for folks who might not remember, this is, the, uh, this is the focus on Mystique, where we find out that uh, she knows a little bit. She, uh, she has a little bit of information from Destiny about... Uh, about Krakoa even being a thing in the first place. And, of course, she wants Destiny to come back. And Destiny says, if you can't bring me back, then just burn this place down. So, really, really awesome issue of X-Men. And I believe that was my number one out of the sixes as well. Just a fantastic issue. Um, we, I talked with Joe a little bit on the uh, socials today. And uh, uh, Call Me Kate is uh, starting to get on his nerves like it got on my nerves. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
I guess that really, really got under his skin for this one because it pushed it, it pushed the book, the entire book, down a peg for him. Now, X Force number six was another really good one for me. I believe this is the one with, uh, well, Joe says it right there. They go Floronic. This is with the Telefloronics in uh, Terra Verde. Was it Terra Verde? Maybe. Where Beast does the thing. You know, I, I, I love that idea of a you know, floronic post-human sort of a situation. I, I thought that opened up a lot of opportunities for, for very interesting storytelling. Fallen Angels, hey, hey, at least it's over, right? Um, I think in Fallen Angels number six, that's where Quanon sprouted butterfly wings and uh, probably learned the same thing about a path for the 87th time. So, yeah, it's a good thing that's over. And I did talk to Joe a little bit about uh, what's to come, and apparently, I was very excited for him to check out X Men number seven. You know, the Crucible issue, the you know the the real big one, and uh, I guess that one's not included in the Dawn of X anthology book seven, but it's in Dawn of X anthology book eight. And I do recall we did go for a little while without getting an issue of X Men, so I wonder if that's what it had to do with. Maybe they were trying to get some other stories in there before before hitting the Crucible. I have to assume that they know what they're doing, because otherwise, I mean, who knows? But uh, Joe might actually skip around and get to X-Men number 7. He'll, he might pull it up on the app to give it a look. So I'm definitely looking forward to getting his thoughts on The Crucible, because, yeah, that's a... Uh, you know, if, if there was ever a shoe drop issue of the Dawn of X era, that's the one. And uh, if anybody listening has not read X-Men number 7, please do so, and let me know what you thought about it. And uh, maybe even listen to the episode where I have a wildly interesting conversation with myself about it. So uh, that's X-Men number seven. But thank you so much for sharing your thoughts, Joe. You're just burning through these books. You're going to be caught up with us pretty damn quick. And that's awesome. That's really awesome. But thanks so much for sharing. And if uh, anyone out there listening would like to share, please do so. You could reach me at Ace Comics on Twitter or at WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. Also, xlapsed.chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You could talk to us about whatever you want over at 90s X-Men on Facebook. I tried posting an episode there today, and uh, Facebook gave me an error. I tried for about an hour, in and out, and uh, kept getting errors. So you might, you might not see anything there for a day or two, but uh, <laughs> it's not my fault, I promise. Um, but that is 90s X-Men on Facebook. And you can check out all the rest of the audio at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. It's the full Chris and Reggie channel archives. Uh, there's thousands of hours of audio that uh, a couple hundred thousand of ears have listened to. So plenty of stuff there. Hopefully something that interests you. So I think that's where we'll put a pin in it for today. Uh, we are halfway through Empire. So that's a good thing, which means we're only three episodes away from introducing the last Wave 2 book from Dawn of X that's going to be X-Factor, and I'm really, really looking forward to checking that one out. I've heard plenty of good things about it, and I hear that there's a uh, a little werewolf puppy in it, so I'm, I'm really interested in getting to that one. So that's where we'll leave for today. One last big thank you to everyone for sharing your time with me today, even though these past couple of episodes have been a little bit more negative than I like to be. I do appreciate you sticking around with me and uh, tolerating it. So thank you all so, so much. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.